Hello there. Welcome to Series 14 of Rich Tang's Less Square Theatre Podcast. And look if you're looking, or listen if you're listening, it's the new Richard Herring Emergency Questions book, available in bookshops from October the 4th and online at gofasterstripe.com and other people are selling it online. Don't buy it from them. Buy it from GoFastStripe. Buy it from Amazon. I get in the charts. Uh, it's uh, 1,001 questions, only 200 of which have appeared in the previous versions of the books we did ourselves. And it's a real book, not a rubbish one like we did ourselves. It's proper. Look at that. It's a proper one. <laughs> and I would also like to thank our sponsor for this series. Oh, yes, it's become official, uh, who have kindly given us some money and some beer. It's beer52.com. Uh, and... Uh, I like to give you something back, kids. That's what I like to do when we get sponsored. And uh, if you go to beer52.com, that's beer52.com slash then you can get eight free craft beers and only pay £2.95 package and postage, which is better than last time. And then you'll be signed up to do it every month if you want. You get eight coming through for £24 a month, but you can leave at any time. You can just take the eight beers for 2 95 drink them, email them, and tell them to fuck off. So uh, don't do that, though. It's good. We're doing Army Chris. It's nice. They, they send you a nice beer and a pack of crisps. So please uh, thank them by getting some free beer off them and then thank them some more by staying, getting some paid beer from them as well. They have been lovely to us. Anyway, now let's sit back, relax and enjoy. Series 14 is the tricky Series 14 of Rich Chains Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, we're back. Welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Please welcome a man who has discovered a new wall-based mission in life. It's Richard Herring! <laughs> Very much. Thank you. Should have killed me last year. I'm back. I'm back. Welcome to uh, Series 14, Episode 1. Are we going to, we're going to hit episode 200 during this series of uh, Rich Chang's Leicester Square Theatre podcast. I was hanging around with Kel from Keenan and Kel uh, the other day. Things are going all right for him. Uh, and he... Uh, Keenan's on uh, Satellite Live. Uh, he's doing right. Uh, but uh, Kel, uh, he calls it Rehearsed of Us. I don't know if that's, that's going to catch on. Uh, so uh, this series is sponsored. We've sold out to the man in return for some beer that they forgot to deliver this week. <laughs> but that is not representative of the fine service they provide. Uh, Beer 52, who uh, we do, did uh, do a few of the podcasts last time, are sponsoring the whole series, have given us a bit of money to, that's nice, isn't it? And some beer. I believe when I see it. And uh, it's... Uh, and you can get some free beer too if you go to beer52.com slash that's right. Uh, then you can get eight craft beers for just two ninety-five package and posting. So that is—I like to do things where you get something back, kids. That's what I'm getting nothing out of this. It's all for you. Uh, anyway, so and also don't forget my new book, Emergency Questions, uh, is out on October the fourth, twenty eighteen. If you're watching this in the future, it is available. Uh, there's a thousand and one emergency questions there. Please buy it. Uh, and then they might let me go on the telly. Uh, so, do that. I just want to be on the telly. I just want to go on the telly. If it sells really well, they might let me go on the telly. Yes. You don't get anything out of it. It's just me. So, uh, it's... so anyway, I've been living in the countryside for a year now. I'm living in Hertfordshire, and we're just sort of getting used to it. 
Now, before I moved to the countryside, I had this prejudiced idea that everyone who lived there would just be obsessed with bins and dog shit. Uh, but now I've lived there for a year, I have realised that those things are very important. So it's, I am, I'm very obsessed. And what I'm annoyed about, I'm annoyed about people who don't pick up their dog shit. I've got a dog and wherever the dog does a shit, I pick it up with a black bag, I'm not sick. Uh, and I put it in the bin. Uh, and lots of people don't bother with that. The people who really annoy me in the countryside in the village where I live, and you know who you are if you're listening, are the people who pick up their dog shit, put it in a bag, and then hang the bag in a tree. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? You've done the difficult bit. Or like put it on a, like a wall. Just take it to a bin. What the fuck is wrong with you people? There's someone in this audience is one of those people. And I want to know why you get off on picking it up. And, oh, I'm not going to carry it around as well. I've done my bit. That is worse. At least the dog shit will disappear eventually. You fuckers. Uh, anyway, and I've, I have got a new mission. I've been walking the dog a lot around a, a really big field. It takes about 25 minutes to walk around the circumference of it, so it's massive. Uh, and it sort of started annoying me. There was kind of a lot of stones on the path, so I started picking the stones up and throwing them aside. And uh, I decided, and it's a very stony, soily field, and I feel sorry for the farmer. So I've decided in the next however long left I've got two times a day uh, when I walk the dog, I'm going to try and move all the stones <laughs> off that field. I'm just sort of throwing them higgledy-piggledy into the side, just into the long grass and the hedgerows. But I reckon if I do that long enough, a wall will grow. <laughs> and that's because I feel like, you know, my, the dude, being a comedian, it's not it's an ephemeral thing laughter is just there and it's gone sometimes it's not even there and um, <laughs> but like a wall that will survive for th many generations and there's a pro I did I've been doing it a week I would say I have moved 2,500 stones so far I don't think anyone has noticed what I'm doing yet there's no wall yet and the field looks exactly the same I'm not sure either whether the farmer wants the field to have loads of... It might be good for growing peas to have loads of stones in the soil. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if it inconveniences the farmer. I'm, I'm, that is my mission now, and I'm going to see that through. And if not, my kids will carry on. But I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm doing. Nobody knows what I'm doing. And they just go, why is the field so clean of stones? Who made that wall? And then eventually, somehow, word will get out. They'll call it the herring wall. That's, I, that's just... That's why I'm... And I've got a new uh, book... Uh, mainly because I've lost the one I was using before. It must be somewhere in the house. The, the Wookiee one has gone. But I also had a Darth Vader one. And that's, I've gone to the dark side. I've got, because I don't, I hate Star Wars. So I bought the, I bought the Darth Vader. I, I want Luke to be killed. That's what I want. <laughs> I want his arm to be chopped off. I cheered that bit. That was good. Because I like Darth Vader. I didn't like the bit where Darth Vader turned out to become good again. Come on. I haven't really watched it. So uh, it's, uh, anyway. Ooh. Anyway, my first guest of the series, I am so excited about this. Uh, absolutely one of my favourite living authors so far. Let's see if he gets through the night. <laughs> He's best known as the writer of the essay, I Shit My Pants in the South of France. <laughs> That's why we're here. Will you please welcome the incredible Jonathan Ames, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Sit down. There's a microphone there. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome to England. Thank you. Thank you. Transatlantic yeah. guest. It's yeah. amazing. How are you? 
I'm good. Thank you for uh, mentioning that essay. Yes. Um, I've always considered it sort of my stairway to heaven or free bird. It's uh, (laughs) often requested. It's amazing how many people, probably 95% of this audience, I can't see anyone. It's sort of like being next to the sun. um, I've had moments of adult... uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, blinding from this way. um, There's been... There's so much adult incontinence, really. But we have these... uh, Things happen, and so, um, so that so I wrote this essay. I shit my pants in the south of France, and ever since I've been like a repository for. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean that pun, but um, <laughs> for people's confessions yeah. of uh, losing control of their bowels, <laughs> and so anyway, that's uh, that's a good opening. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, well, I, I became a fan of yours. Weirdly, um, Stuart Lee, the comedian, some of you may know, I don't know what's happened to him. Uh, he, he, at Christmas, he basically gives away to his friends the review copies of CDs and books he's been given. Mm-hmm. And in about two, in the early 2000s, he gave me two copies of your book. And I just assumed, because Stuart Lee had given them to me, they were shit. Mm. So I, I didn't read them. Mm. Uh, and then... I read them, and they were, it, was the, it was two of your collections of essays, and I think Stuart got them for me because I was writing a blog, mm-hmm. uh, and it's mildly confessional. My stand-up's mildly mm-hmm. confessional. I think mm-hmm. he thought we would, uh, that I would, would uh, you know, empathise. Although your stuff is, certainly your essays, are, they're very rev- revelatory, mm-hmm. revelatory and, mm-hmm. uh, and you're very open about... Mm-hmm. Well, you call yourself the, the, the Confessions of a Mildly Perverted Author is the subheading of... Yeah, well, the, the, uh, the, the first uh, essay collection was called What's Not to Love? The Adventures of a Mildly Perverted Young Writer, which was uh, a real marketing mistake on my part. Um, <laughs> this was the year 2000. At the time, this uh, book by Dave Eggers had come out in the States called A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius. <laughs> and I thought, well, I need something like that. So I came up with The Adventures of a Mildly Perverted Young Writer, and then, oh, for the next decade, and until now, because now it's 18 years later, a lot of times when I've been written about perverted Jonathan Ames, or <laughs> pervert Jonathan Ames, uh, Jonathan Ames, the perverted writer, and it was like... Self-confessed perverted. I, I mean, I had myself to blame for yep. this, you know? Yeah. I, but it stuck with me, and uh, I don't think it, it didn't... The book didn't sell many copies either. That was the other well, thing. Well, if, you, if you're sold a lot in England, it's because I was basically buying it for everybody. Mm. I, bu- I bought my wife uh, a, a copy of uh, mm. your, two of your collections just when we mm. got together, but I'd also mm. done it for several girlfriends before her as well. Mm. So, <laughs> so if, if you have sold a lot in England, it's because of me. Yeah. There was a spike in, in London at that well, time. That I, was, I remember when the essay books came out that sometimes couples... It either brought couples together or brought, uh, put them apart. Yep. So that oftentimes the male would be like, "Read this," <laughs> you know. And then if the woman liked it, then uh, she then, was a keeper. Yeah, they knew they would get along, or vice versa. If yeah. the woman gave it to the man, and they would, you know. So if they liked stories of scatology or you know. <laughs> Uh, crabs, you know, these were the sorts of things that I wrote about. So yeah. if people could bond over that, then they were meant to be together. Well, that's it, and I've got two children, so maybe those mm-hmm. two children exist because of you and my wife liking... Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I in, a, in a nice way, not a comedic way necessarily, though com- comedy can be nice, 
if I helped in any way yes. for you to have love and to bring children into the world, then yeah. that's a good thing, even if it's just 2% of the pie chart. Yeah, that, that's true. But I wonder if you hadn't read the book if you would have gotten married, probably. But, but your whole destiny it, it, would be it different. It pushed me away from the single life, having read about your yeah, single yeah, life towards. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it was it, it's sort of weird. I, I, we were sort of touched on this backstage, but... Because you were writing those essays, you, it was sort of pretty, well, the internet existed, but nothing was going up on the internet. Yeah. So it was sort of, and it was astonishing to see someone writing honestly about uh, about their personal lives and and the things that that you're you're interested in might not be what what everyone else is interested in, but then that's the way the world is. But before the internet, you didn't really know that there was these people around. But because the internet's come out, then subsequently lots of people write quite revelatory blogs or secret blogs on online so it's, it's sort of it, the whole landscape's changed both in terms of stuff surviving for a long time that you wouldn't mm. have expected to survive and also it, now it would it wouldn't seem as extraordinary i think maybe that someone was writing so openly about yeah about perhaps i i when I, I used to have this column in a, a newspaper in new york in the late 90s and it was a free newspaper it would come out once a week and the publisher just hired a bunch of nuts to write for them, uh, including myself. And I wasn't paid very well, but again, it was pre-internet, so I would put out these outrageous things every week for people to read on the subway, because that's where most yeah. people read uh, this particular newspaper, and then it would be gone. So it wasn't like now, where if you put something on the internet, it could be there forever. And I, I back then, I didn't necessarily want my parents to read the things I was writing, <laughs> and so it was, it was, I think it was a freer time in a sense. Uh, I, I, we don't want to get into the depressing topic of how the internet has destroyed so much, but um, <laughs> it, it was nice to be able to write back then yeah. pre-internet. Yeah. I, I told, uh, I was talking to a friend before um, coming over here. I, I'm not really on top of things, including podcasts or anything pop culture. I said I'm, I said I'm the opposite of postmodern, I'm pre-modern. But um, just thought I'd throw it. It was kind of a good one, sort of. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, uh, this is the main podcast, so oh, okay. that's all you need to know. <laughs> right. And uh, uh, an, uh, another thing I was telling Richard, when there's a lull for a moment, in case the audience for a moment should have a moment to think or to breathe, uh, I, I can speak backwards uh, words, like podcast is tisaktop, uh, table is elbat, microphone is inachba orkim, Richard is drocker, stage is egats, um, God, dog. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I should have, no. but it's the lights that are uh, yeah. sunlike or godlike. Yeah, well, you know, if you if that had come out around the same time you're writing, you might have just gone into the show business doing that. Speaking that's, backwards that's the whole time. Yeah, well, it'd be sort of. Well, I think all the time would probably be too much, but for two minutes. Yeah. Or did do it's a two-minute act, isn't it? Yeah, like Andy Kaufman, I could have come out and just <laughs> spoken backwards, yeah. lifted, you know, expanded my eyes and. <laughs> Drop my shorts and <laughs> fall to my knees. I don't know what, but anyway. Well, it was it was it was, it was a really important thing for me to read those um, mm. those, uh, and also because what's lovely about it is it's you know I think there were things that they are you know it's, it's being interested in having sex with transvestites and things like that. Mm. Things that aren't really but, particularly shocking. Really. Are you talking about your blog your, or my your oh? Blog. oh. But I'm interested. Yeah. Uh, I've been married for 10 years. I'm interested in having sex with anything. Uh, so... <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's not... It's just, it, it, there's a real sweetness behind all of this mm. scatology and 
ridiculous manginas and yeah well i mean with everything i try to do my goal is to amuse to um i guess it's a justification for being an artist i i i thought this early on in my life but i I've, most things fade away things that you think are true or maxims or ideals everything nothing lasts as as our minds change but one thing i've always held on to for a while was the notion of being a clown that a clown has uh, his or her place in society to distract, to bring comfort, um, to perhaps make someone feel less alone. So with my essays, that was the goal, to, you know, to amuse, have people feel less alone. And I never tried to hurt anyone else with the essays. I, I, I mostly pointed the finger at me. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, anyway, that, those were that. No, well, again, I think that's what, but that was. I think that's what spoke to me about it as well. And my comedy is very much to, mm -hmm. about myself mm -hmm. and about about how useless I am. And I think that mm -hmm. you know it does give you license to to expand and, and explore interesting mm -hmm. things. And uh, we should address this that you called yourself the Herring Wonder, which obviously mm -hmm. I have to take issue with. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was uh, you had a boxing career. Yeah, this was uh, back in my days when I had a column. Uh, this mad performance artist. Uh, well, he, I used to perform myself, and I, I had once, uh, once, I had once had called a, a phone sex line. Um, it, the the straight line was something like two dollars and ninety nine cents a minute, right. and for some reason the gay line was fifteen cents a minute, and I was like, and I was pretty broke, so. Um, and I don't know why it was so much cheaper, but anyway, so I called the gay line, and I'm a, a rather fluid person, pun not intended or intended, and uh, I, I met, there, it was like an old-fashioned chat line, like, I don't know, somehow you could click a button and talk to other human beings, again, all pre-internet, yeah, you know, yeah. and it felt very modern at the time. There was one guy who wanted to do, uh, uh, what was it called, chicken fights, where someone would get on his shoulders and then fight someone else on the shoulders, and I said, wow, that's so interesting, you're into that. I said, as a child, did you ever have a chicken fight and get an erection against the back of someone's head, thinking there must have been some early Proustian <laughs> connection? Yeah, yeah. And he said, no, what are you talking about? That's weird, and hung up. Like, <laughs> he, 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 he wanted no insight into this chicken yeah. fight fetish. And, um, and then I met another guy, again, aggression-oriented, uh, who wanted to box someone in like one of, you know, one of these hotel rooms you get for an hour. And I'd always had a fascination with boxing, the romance of boxing. I had tried boxing a little. So I met this guy in a hotel room to box. And uh, that's when I found out why boxer shorts are called boxer shorts. Because I made, because I, he wanted to be naked. I said, I didn't feel comfortable with that, but he got naked. But I kept my boxer shorts on. I thought, oh my God, they're boxer shorts. <laughs> anyway. Um, so we began boxing in this hotel room, and he was really trying to kick the shit out of me. And, uh, but then I managed, you know, I was covering up, I threw a right, hit him, and then he gouged his hip into the dresser. It wasn't a proper <laughs> ring, and it hurt him so much that he stumbled back onto the bed. He said, I, let's quit, I'm not into this. Anyway, so I, I, would, I told this story on stage or some version of it, and then this, other, this guy challenged me, to, this acquaintance of mine, to a, a real boxing match, because he didn't like me in downtown New York, talking Fine. like I was this big fighter. So he, so he challenges me, but it turns out he had had several Golden Gloves matches and, and was quite sadistic. But so we had this, 
big fight in 1999 in front of an audience of about 600 people in a converted synagogue, 19th century synagogue. Um, big audience. We had all this un undercard fights. I trained for three months. And anyway, when he challenged me over the phone and he sent a cameraman, I didn't know what was going on, I suddenly had this inspiration to call myself the Herring Wonder because I was living on the Lower East Side and there was a herring shop right near me and I was eating a lot of herring. It's very, you know, it's a low on the food chain in the sea, so less mercury, but has all the oils you need. And, uh, and so I was... You don't need to tell me. Yeah, and, and so I'm like, I'll be the herring wonder because also Jews, when they first came to the U.S., often had to box like uh, most immigrants, and I saw myself as a reincarnated Lower East Side Jewish boxer, and I said, I'll be the herring wonder, and I'll train by eating only herring, and I'll have herring breath in the ring to further repel <laughs> my opponent. And because I noticed my mother, who's very dear, when she would eat herring, sometimes the breath would be incredible, and I felt this repulsion for her, which I... Anyway, so I... I had this boxing match and people waved silver herrings in the audience and I came into the ring with a jar of herring and, um, and then took a public beating for four rounds. Um, even with all my training, my nose was broken, got a concussion. Um, I can't remember things to this day. And, uh, and then I later had another fight in 2007, which I won. Another writer challenged me through a publishing house. I thought, oh my God, I forget what, maybe it was like... Uh, Penguin Books. I'm like, Penguin is challenging me to a... Because I thought, I retired for the sake of my brain, but I came out of retirement to fight this Canadian writer who was larger than me and had once taken steroids, but he was very awkward, and I, I beat him for three rounds, so not, not in a cruel manner, and it was a more gentlemanly fight. So that's how I became the Herring Wonder, and, uh, and it's kind of stuck ever since. So that's why I... I, I very pleased to meet you. Yeah, well, I'm like... <laughs> it's, just my, it's just my name. It's just my name. I couldn't... I had no choice in it. There was can, nothing. can I say one other thing about herring? Yeah, please do. Um, so, anyway, first of all, I still like it very much, so sometimes I eat it too much and I get sick of it. But I, once as a journalist, was embedded on a Greenpeace boat uh, in Alaska in the most beautiful terrain, going up some intracoastal waterway, which I can't remember the name of, and it's a gigantic rainforest. And I was on this boat, uh, moored late at night, and stars, and we're right on the edge of the Pacific, and you could hear the whales breaching about, you know, maybe 200 yards away from the boat. And around the edge of the boat, with little lights coming out, I saw flowing fish, silver fish, right? And there was a scientist walking the deck with me late at night. And I said, what are all those fish in the water there and the, and the light so beautiful? And he goes, well, that's what the whales are eating. You know, just 200 yards away, we can hear them eating. And I said, well, what kind of fish is it? And he goes, herring. I'm like, herring? Oh my God, no, the whale, the most powerful creature in the world is feeding on it. I was right to think that it would give me superpowers <laughs> yeah. as a boxer. It was yeah. so confirming years later <laughs> to know that whales were feasting on herring like, you know, Jews in Russia in the 19th yeah. century. Yeah. And ladies, watch out. It's also true. If you feast on me, you get the same powers. <laughs> Don't tell my wife I said that when she comes on as a guest in a few weeks' time. So uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> I've got my wife coming on as a guest. Oh, She's well, doing a podcast. Oh, it's, did, a, it's a really bad idea. Does she listen to the podcast? Does she, she does listen to this, but like the character of Richard Herring is very different than the real Richard Herring. Mm. As you probably noticed, the 
sharp difference between me on stage and off stage. Yeah. Uh, he's very rude about his wife, whereas I love my wife, but the, 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 this guy is, does things like that, where he makes rude allusions yeah, and to says ladies things and like you would have sex with yeah. anybody and yeah, stuff that's like it. that. And it's, you know, I have... I have some sex with my wife. Oh, we've got two kids. Occasionally I have sex with my wife. Well, it's good. Affection in a marriage is important. Yeah. So. Occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> Let's do an emergency question. First one of the series. Coming at, ra- it's coming at random, except if it's very English, I will change it to something else. Oh, look, this is a great emergency question for you. This, and this has come up. How is anyone with any intelligent not a- intelligence not an alcoholic? Um, well, there is AA, um, which just arrests the drinking. Well, if you're intelligent, then you're upset, and because it's, um, the world is falling apart, and we die. I'm just thinking this through. You know, this was an emergency question. And, uh, so there's a number of things to be upset about. You die, everyone else you know dies, um, and then we also seem to be mismanaging everything, so that's also upsetting. So, alcohol takes that pain away briefly. But, uh, so, yeah, I guess all intelligent people should be alcoholic, yeah. but there's other things they can do to help them not think. Yeah. Um, the, the idea is, the Drugs. less thinking you do, the better. <laughs> yeah. or, or just be in the now, you know, because if you're in the now, okay, it's okay, we are alive right now. You don't need to drink. It's uh, amazing to be here right now, but we're so afraid to be alive in the moment that we need lots of distraction like alcohol, I don't know. This, um, but I think you can be intelligent and not alcoholic, mm. just for the record. So. No. No, all right. <laughs> I have well, I had a drink last night, uh, but I hadn't had a drink for two weeks before that, so, you know, I'm fine, right? That's the kind of thing an alcoholic would say. So, um, <laughs> and I felt, re- I couldn't sleep. I had t- two glasses of wine and was unable to sleep. So uh, that's why I'm behaving oddly. Uh, I'll try and do one. I've asked that one already backstage. I'll try and do one that's lighter in tone. Hmm. Yeah, sorry if that was a negative thing no, to say was, about how uh, difficult it is, it is to be it, alive. But it is difficult to be alive. That's, that's why that's, people are here. They want to laugh. They want to, you know, but it's also beautiful to be alive and we can learn from the difficulties. I'm sorry if these are it was very maxims. Much the cor- it was very much cliches. the correct answer, I think, to that. And okay. it was the questions. Well, what about the, the next book should be the answers to the questions? <laughs> Or just the answers, and you have to figure out what the question was. <laughs> Jeopardy. Emergency question, Jeopardy. Hmm. Uh, if you were God, what flavour would you have made ejaculate? Hmm. All right. Well, I, that's a wonderful question. Because it's, um, it's like God didn't even consider people were going to eat it, wasn't it? That's the, that's, which is yeah. short-sighted of God, at the least. Yeah, I wonder if he... He or she thought about that. Well, the thing is, I think if I was a god, I would give people the option, like they could hit a button on the mail, like on the hip. And if, so let's say, for me, I love the fat of a steak. And so if it tasted like that, it would be great. Yeah. Other people like caramel, you know, some people like almonds. So I, if I was a god, I would give people many options. So the penis would be like one of those sort of dispensers you get in pubs that you get the soft drinks out of, the press a diff- <laughs> different button. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, man, could, you, you'd be a better god already than the than the existing. It's hard god. for me to give a single answer to anything because I, I'm not very uh, definitive about things. Well, that's what the, that's the beauty. That's what emergency questions are for, really. They're to just to waste time before we die. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. hopefully not today. Uh, it's very. You have. I almost died last night. Did you? I, My yeah. goodness. God, let's let's hear about that. Well. 
I was... Um, I thought I was dying last night, so let's do you first. Well, <laughs> I was walking about London, and because of this thing of reading backwards, you know when it says, look left? Well, a lot of them are, say, look left upside down. And so that's look left for the people walking this way, but I see look left, and, so, and I get all confused, and uh, I stepped out into the road, and I thought, oh my God, I could have gotten hit by a bus, but I'd look to the, and then suddenly a motorcycle came right this way, because I thought, what if I was suicidal? I could really step in front of a bus here in London very easily. A anyway, but I almost got hit by this motorcyclist, <laughs> and right as I had had the thought, oh, I could die easily, and then suddenly this motorcyclist went right past me, and I think he knew, I think he wanted to upset me, uh, but I thought he was really taking a risk because I could have idiotically taken one more step yeah. and then it would have been like hitting a deer in the countryside. But, and then I immediately uh, shrugged it off and went and got something to eat. But, you know, but <laughs> I, I, that's it. we're walking around all the time like time bombs. Yeah. I, we keep coming back to death, but everything is about death. <laughs> it is. And let's, uh, oh yeah, let's move it on to life. <laughs> we're done. I'm, that's fine. I'm, 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 I'm obsessed with it too, so that's fine. Hmm. Um, let's talk a bit more about you. I mean, you've done, what's interesting is the variety of um, stuff you've done. I'm quite interested in, because your first novel came out in the late 80s. Yeah, 1989. And then you had quite a long period of time bef between that and the next one. Nine years. Yeah. yeah. I know these things somehow. <laughs> Most things I don't, but... So I'm, as a writer and as, you know, someone who's experienced those kind of highs and lows, uh, mm. it's interesting to... What were you doing in between? You were carrying on writing. You took some jobs, didn't you? You had different jobs. Yeah, well, my first book, it was sort of a lucky shot out of the gate, came out in 1989, though it didn't sell a lot of copies or anything. It was called I Pass Like Night, which is a line from uh, The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And um, I took a comma out, uh, but Coleridge had I Pass, comma, like night. I took the comma out. I've always had bad grammar, so it's I Pass Like Night. Um, and then I really struggled to write a second book for uh, the next one, The Extra Man, which we're talking, uh, is out here again in the in the UK, came out in 98. So struggled to write for a couple of years. What little money I had ran out within a year. So I drove a, a, a taxi in New Jersey for two years. I got a lot of reading done. Um, back then you used to sit in a taxi stand. It wasn't, you know, like Uber now. And you had to wait for people to walk up. Or there was one phone that we all shared, all the drivers that was on this mounted pole. Right. And, uh, so, and then, uh, and then a friend of mine said, maybe you should go back to school. As long as you're in school, you're not failing. So uh, in my late 20s, I, I went to graduate school in New York City. And, uh, and then I met a writer, uh, Richard Price. He gave a little seminar at the school I went to. And he said, you have to find something you're in love with. And I thought, that's what I had been missing. I'd been writing a book just to publish again, just to have that thing, whatever sense of self it gave to me, publish a book. But no, to write something, to make a piece of art, I needed to be in love with my subject or fascinated or obsessed. And so I began to look for something that I was in love with or obsessed with mm -hmm. and, uh, and began to find my subjects in New York that, that led to that second book. And during that time also, during the writing of that book, I had many jobs. I, I worked the door at this uh, nightclub called the Fez Nightclub, which was a great nightclub. Uh, the singer Jeff Buckley began playing there. That's where I began to perform. It had just opened up. The Charles Mingus Band was there. I also worked at an environmental magazine calling uh, museums all over the country, asking them to subscribe to the magazine. And, right. uh, 
I, I had other jobs I can't remember now, but, you know, sometimes I would try to sell myself. It never worked too well, but I, <laughs> you know, I did, actually. I would be so desperate and crazy late at night in strange places. But um, anyway, things like that. Yeah. Is that too much information? No, no. Not, my, not I know enough. my parents don't no. listen to a podcast. They won't listen to this. Yeah. Not enough information. Uh, and, uh, and so the extra man, I mean, it, it feels like a lot of your work is... Uh, is autobiographical mm-hmm. the extra man is, is that something that it, mm. that came out of this experience of um yes. new york and and your own what i like about it is that the the the, the right the narrator of the book mm. who possibly is you mm. is sort of obsessed with being like fitzgerald or the, mm. the writers of old but is a sort of little bit pretentious with it maybe and mm. it's sort of you're taking the piss out of yourself it, it, mm. it seems in a little way in that in that yeah, well, I, I got a good piece of writing advice from, I, had a, I was very lucky to have an incredible writer as a teacher when I was in college, the writer Joyce Carol Oates. And she gave me a piece of advice, which I think could apply to actors and maybe different art forms, but she said you could take one aspect of yourself and from that aspect create a whole character, almost like taking a little bit of DNA. So for this particular character, I used to have an obsession with appearing like a young gentleman in the works mostly of British writers like Somerset Maugham or Evelyn Waugh or P.G. Woodhouse. And I, and I used to want to dress as I imagine they dressed. You know, I'd go to thrift stores and buy sport coats and things like that. So this character is, is like, uh, to sound pretentious as you mentioned, but like Fitzgerald talked about his characters as being like brothers. And I, I think of my characters as cousins. They, they share a lot of DNA, but they're not quite me. Sure. But, so, but there's a lot of elements of myself in here, but distorted. And once you change something, then you sort of change everything. But um, so, yeah, so this, this book was born out of my time living in New York yeah. uh, in the early 90s. And in fact, there's a passage about Trump in here. Uh, the book was recently published in Israel, and they headlined with this <laughs> passage about Trump, which an eccentric character in, based in real life had who would go to Palm Beach where Trump was just trying to break into society down there. And it said something like, Trump tried to break in again, had a big party, but it invited lots of prostitutes. And so he's out again for another year, too vulgar. So it was very prescient back in 92, what I had written. Um, So I'm assuming this is a... Uh, pro-Trump audience yeah, now. Absolutely. <laughs> the whole of the country loves loves Trump. Yeah. Uh, we wish it was over. Well, actually, we can't do any worse than anyone soon over here at the moment. So uh, <laughs> maybe we would. I, I like you get those these little visions of. Uh, so early on in the book, there's the bit about going to the opera, but mm. sort of sneaking into the mm. opera with someone's return <coughs> ticket, so you get to see yeah. the second half of the opera, mm. which sounds like something you probably did. But it's but you get a nice idea of those people waiting for their turn, yeah. these sort of New York characters. Um, you know, I lived with an older eccentric gentleman that was, became my uh, roommate. And I realized when this writer said, find something you're in love with, this eccentric gentleman, I realized I was kind of in love with him. I yeah. had never met a human being like this. And the things that came out of his mouth. And I, I, we lived in a tiny little apartment. I, I had the sliver of a room next to the bathroom. And then he was, there was the kitchen and there was almost no walls. And then on the other side of the kitchen, there was a big hole in the wall like a window. He slept in a little uh, couch on the other side. Oh, and our favorite show was uh, probably, it was Are You Being Served? We would watch that <laughs> late at night together drinking wine. And, uh, but anyway, this character and I In might, New York, it was the height of sophistication. Yeah. <laughs> 
you know, Mrs. Slocum, my, yeah. my pussy's been out all night in the cold. Oh, we would laugh, you know, thinking we were like, this was Oscar Wilde or something. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, uh, this gentleman, he was an expert at what's called second acting. I don't know if you do it here, but we would go, I saw every Broadway musical with him. And then I would sometimes, I would meet uh, young women and I would date them and I'd say, I'm going to take you to a show, but we're just going to see the second act <laughs> and uh, the second half. And, and then they liked the thrill of it. So when people would come out, Broadway shows were easier than the opera, but Broadway, everyone come out and smoke uh, during halftime or intermission. And then you would sort of blend in with the crowd. They'd let you back in. We would grab programs, roll them up like we'd had them in our hands already. And then when you go in, there might be a few empty seats. And you try, they wouldn't check for tickets this, you know, during the second half. And so I'd see all the shows the second half. And then with the you opera... You do that in the first half of my shows. <laughs> there'll, always, there'll always be empty seats. And the opera was more elaborate, though. You had yeah. to get two tickets, and it was a whole ordeal. But we also snuck into the opera and uh, heard some famous opera and... I can't remember which it was now. Maybe Tosca? Does that sound right? Is that yeah, pronouncing it, it right? Possible. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a terrible punishment to me to <laughs> go and see any opera, but oh, that's but, just me. But when it's free, <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> that's how it's meant to be. And The Extra Man, you, you, I, I was seeing an interview, you said it was turned down 20, I got 20 rejections. For yeah, the... yeah. I, that was a case where I should have come to London and stepped in front of a motorcycle. <laughs> I was very, I really despaired because I spent four years writing the book and uh, and then like 20 publishers rejected it and I thought, well, uh, then someone told me they'd been studying uh, Zen Buddhism and they said, anything you'll hold on to will cause you pain. And I thought, I'm holding on to this dream of being a writer. I, I, have, to, I have to let it go. What else can I do in my life? And I didn't really come up with much. I thought I could maybe come, you know, witness uh, elections in Eastern Europe or something as the wall was falling. But anyway, luckily it turned out months after it had been submitted, this one editor who we thought had rejected the book uh, had simply not read it. And like four months after, you know, and wouldn't return phone calls and it seemed like a strange way to say no, but that no was yeah. the answer. I even tried calling directly myself because I'd met the editor and she wouldn't speak to me. Um, but then out of the blue, luckily four months later, she wanted the book right. and, uh, and it came out. So... Uh, but yeah, that was a it was a dark time. I mean, it's but that's what being a writer is in any field, isn't it? It's coping with that. It's very rare that someone comes out fully formed, or even if they do, that they are discovered as fully formed. You know, there's it's, there's a lot of rejection in the business. Yeah, and you and you need that rejection. And I, I remember at the time thinking, okay, and as I later got rejected more in life, give me more rejection. Each each rejection will make me stronger. <laughs> or if I'm, I must be good if I'm getting this rejected. Yes. <laughs> that was uh, what I was that telling true. myself. <laughs> it is true. Well, it's, it's the true in comedy, I think, is in writers, the, the best people and the worst people get the same amount of rejections, <laughs> I think. So you're either very good or very bad. <laughs> and it's, you know, probably for your own sanity, you have to imagine you're good. I guess. But, but the bad people imagine they're good as well. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> but is, is, is it true the, the, the character says uh, that his dad told him that um, this is just something that worries me that uh, if you let your the gas in your t car tank go under halfway that dirties the engine or is that just an old car um, I don't know if this is true it's something my father always told me right. and he was obsessed with not letting a tank go below half a tank yeah. and and i'm the complete opposite of yeah. my father I, I live in los angeles now i'm always on this thing you are out of fuel i wait to the last i procrastinate constantly in life even with gas and sometimes it 
you, I, I don't know, I guess it's my own way of being James Bond. Will I make it to a gas station in time? It's the same thing with incontinence. Will I make it to the toilet in time? You know, <laughs> you know it's like... It I, is fun to leave it to the last minute. That's the, yeah, so... Have that, yeah, that extra thing. Uh, do you want to do, you were going to read a little bit from the book. Do you want to do the same? We're talking about the book. Should we do the Yeah, the I, I'll, I'll read a brief passage. Um, I hope people don't find it offensive. Uh, or, anyway, I hope I can even see it. Um, but yeah, in the cab over, I heard that maybe I should read something. So I, uh, there was a copy of the book. I grabbed it. There's a brief section. So it's a, it's a scene between... Um, the narrator is a young fellow, if you want, you could imagine me, uh, living in New York uh, with an eccentric, politically incorrect, older playwright. They're both penniless, and they live in this very small apartment. <clears throat> uh, and, I, and it's in the years around 1992. The next day was New Year's Eve, and it snowed. Uh, we stayed in, and the other character's name is Henry. The next day was New Year's Eve, and it snowed. We stayed in all afternoon and watched a series of Danny Kaye films on the classic movie channel, The Secret Life of Walter Mitty, Court Jester, and The Inspector General. Henry warmed up some apple juice on the stove and added rum, and we sat on the two couches and got drunk. I said to Henry, do you think we drink too much? Men face reality, women don't. That's why men need to drink, he said. That sounded like a good maxim, so I enjoyed my drink in the movies. And it turned out that we both loved Danny Kaye. This made me feel happy. I kept an accounting of all our similarities like money in a bank. After the second Danny Kaye movie, Henry said, whatever happened to Danny Kaye? It's strange. He just disappeared and it was before AIDS. You mean Danny Kaye was gay, I asked? Of course, said Henry with annoyance. He and Olivier were lovers. Olivier too? Why don't you know these things, asked Henry, <laughs> exasperated with my innocence. I'm not an expert like you on the sexuality of 20th century figures, I said, fighting back. You don't have to be an expert. Olivier was British, and the British are all homosexual because of public school. <laughs> they never really get over it. I know, you've said that before. Well, some things need to be reinforced. I can't imagine Danny Kaye and Laurence Olivier, I said. Oh yes, said Henry with assurance, opposites. I tried picturing them in bed. Who played the woman, I asked, phrasing my question in 19th century terms that I thought would appeal to Henry. Danny Kaye, I imagine. He could do a lot of accents. <laughs> that way, Olivier could have a different woman every night. So, well, that's a little passage from The Extra Man. <laughs> It's, it's beautiful writing. I, I, um, I did read it several years ago, and I, I would just, I've re-read re re the, uh, the first part, half of it, and it's just the, the writing is just very enjoyable. It's very witty and very. It's, it's, but it's, 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 do buy it and go and go and, go and buy this book and all the other books. You're going to enjoy them a lot, yeah. I think. And they, I didn't know this, and I, as a fan of yours, I was surprised to find this out in my research that they made a, a film of the Extra Man with Kevin Klein. Yeah, Katie Holmes and, and Paul Dano. Yeah, uh, it's a fine film. Kevin Klein is is brilliant in the role, um, and in an odd life imitating art. So uh, the phrase "an extra man" in upper class New York society, uh, you have what's known as walkers. I don't know if you have a similar phrase or term here in England, but or an extra man. And walkers would be these older men, usually without very much money, who would escort even older widows to lunches, to Broadway shows, to parties, 
and they were called walkers, and sometimes they were called an extra man, because at a dinner party, there was less men, because the men die off sooner, and women live longer, so sometimes you needed an extra man at the dinner party to keep things boy, girl, boy, girl. So the man I lived with, he was an extra man, though he also liked to say, I'm more than extra, I'm essential. But, um, <laughs> And, but sometimes he would get severe sciatica, psychosomatic probably, and he would lie on our dirty floor of our apartment, our apartment, but he didn't want one of the other extra men to steal his main older lady, who was this wealthy oil heiress in her 90s, who was missing half her face, either from a shotgun blast or cancer, we didn't know which. And so he, at the last moment, told her, I can't make it, but a young friend of mine will pick you up and and take her to the Will Rogers Follies, which we had already snuck into, but I had to act as if I had not seen the second half of it, so she would think like she was treating me. <clears throat> so I picked up this ancient lady, I think a limo came for me, went and got her, went to the thing, you know, got her to her seat, you know, she held onto my arm, and uh, you couldn't really see her face, she had this wig, she was bent over, enormous rings, but very charming, and... Um, and then afterwards, we went to the Russian tea room, and all these people seemed to know her, and I had to, she had to, could only drink with a straw, and I, I think I had to dab her face with a napkin, and I attended to her as best I could. All these people came. She got too drunk in her mid-90s to sign the thing. I signed it. It was over $1,000 for everyone to have dinner. And, uh, and then I took her home, ended up having to carry her up to bed. The driver helped me. And then uh, as I put her under the bed, she said, oh, you dear boy. It was very beautiful in a way. And, uh, and then years later, God, that would have been 93. We shot the film in 2009. So 16 years later, they were shooting in the Russian tea room, recreating that scene. And I, I was a, an extra sitting at a table. It was kind of interesting. So yeah. a small anecdote. Yeah. Not, not, with a la not a laugh at the end, but, you know. <laughs> but it's interesting you work. Uh, my favorite Bukowski book was Hollywood, which was about his experience yeah. of uh, Barfly and, yeah. and, and, and the film not turning out and the, the Hollywood people not, not being mm. very nice. Mm. Uh, did, have you, do you ever thought of, was the experience enjoyable to be, to, to be with film people or was it? Oh, oh yeah. Well, I, I've, um, I've also worked a lot on TV and being on a set, there's, it's like uh, being in a play or yeah. a circus. There's, there's a great camaraderie to being on a set. So being on sets is a lot of fun and, uh, and I've, I've done a, a bit of that. So I was happy to be there and I love... I was a, am a big Bukowski fan, and I love that scene in Barfly where a Mickey Rourke is drunk at the bar and goes, to all my friends, and he lifts a drink. And so for many years when I'd be very drunk, I would lift a drink, to all my friends. Uh, maybe I'll do it later tonight with uh, my one friend who I'll have dinner with. But, <laughs> to, to all my friend. But, um, but yeah, it was fun to be on that set, and uh, Kevin Klein was, you know, really... A, brilliant person yeah, yeah. and I'm glad I got to know him for a little while cool and you're, you're, you're you've written a short ebook that's turned this mm. into this very successful award-winning film as well yeah um, um, I wrote uh, a novella called you were never really here the same I have a wonderful publisher I'll mention them here in England called Pushkin Press and they published my uh, thriller and they published the extra man another book of mine wake up sir which is a, a, a PG Woodhouse homage which never could get published in England like an American doing an homage to Woodhouse I mean I did have a character named Jeeves which is a bit uh, a bit much but uh, it was a different Jeeves and uh, legally and um, <laughs> and the Woodhouse estate is quite you know but uh, 
And then in, in America, though, there was a Woodhouse Society, and it's not like being Salman Rushdie and getting a fatwa, but I, they were against me tremendously, uh, all 88 members of the Woodhouse Society in Connecticut. They wrote articles about me. So they attended a reading of mine, and someone sent it to me. He, it said something like, he has none of Plum's charm. But, and then I met another member of the Woodhouse Society, and she said, I loved your book. I said, I heard that the Woodhouse Society was against me. And she goes, well, they are, but none of them have actually read the book. I thought, oh, God. Well, they, a- Anyway, what was this question? <laughs> Uh, well, it's about, it was about oh, oh, you were never really here. here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I wrote this thriller, and, uh, and it's available out there, and, uh, and then it became this wonderful movie yeah. uh, done by Lynn Ramsey, uh, who's Scottish, and Joaquin Phoenix is the lead, and it's a really strong, unusual movie, and uh, quite proud of it. It's a, it's is it going to come to the UK? Because I don't think The Extra Man was released in the UK. Um, I yeah, think I would have seen it if it had been. <laughs> yeah, I don't think The Extra Man came here. Uh, you were never really here, uh, not to make you feel bad. But it's out already. It was out. Okay, so uh, it's, it's I've got two small children. I've not, not seen anything. Yeah, I, don't, I can't. I can barely read, let alone go. <laughs> I, I understand. I don't absorb anything. I, all I, I, I sometimes hold my phone late at night. And to, just like it could give me something, you know what I mean? Come, like what? I think with our phones have, you know, wrecked us. So anyway, the film came out here. I think in April, uh, maybe late March. And uh, but it, I think it's it must be available streaming in some sure, way. Sure, yeah, yeah. Oh well, I'll, I would. You know, probably should have watched it before oh, the it, interview. Ah, uh, but. Uh, <laughs> But you know so much. I do know. I'd, well, yeah, I'd, yeah I, I which feel, I appreciate. I, feel I do. Uh, it's it's and bored to death was a was a again it's it's that writer as detective thing which you yeah. until you'd written this novella you hadn't really explored as fully as that. But yeah. it, but it's it's it, again it's this autobi it's a lot of the same autobiographical stories, but with this idea of in the nighttime Jonathan Ames works as a detective on Craigslist. Yeah, well, the Bored to Death, that began as this short story I wrote because I I would write all these essays and people would say, oh, you made that up, that didn't happen to you. I'd be like, no, I really did shit my pants in the south of France. But, uh, and then when I would write fiction, sort of like you, you'd be like, well, that's really you, isn't it? And I thought, God, when I write fiction, they say it's true. When I write nonfiction, they say I made it up. So I decided to write a short story in which Jonathan Ames, and I wrote it in the style of my essays, puts an ad on Craigslist and becomes a private detective and gets into trouble. Um, And people really believed it. I wrote it for Esquire, they rejected it, and so I ended up, again, mentioning Dave Eggers. I sent it to him for his magazine, and he, he responded to me. He goes, did that really happen to you? And I thought, this is great. It's worked perfectly. Um, and so anyway, that short story then became the TV show Bored to Death, uh, in which uh, Jason Schwartzman played Jonathan Ames. And what was interesting, just it's self-referential, but I am being interviewed. Um, <laughs> Sorry, you're alive. Was, that for years, as I mentioned, I had been called perverted writer Jonathan Ames or pervert Jonathan Ames or Jonathan Ames. And then suddenly when people would write about me for the few years of Bored to Death, I'd be like, the real Jonathan Ames. So it was kind of, I'd gone from perverted to now I was real because there was the fake one running around on TV. Yeah. So, but that's how that show it was a came. Great, it's a really good series. Oh, thank you. Yeah, is, is it, there was sort of ch- a chance of becoming a movie maybe or is that, is that all? There was a chance. I kind of blew it. 
Um, I wrote two failed screenplays. Maybe it wasn't meant to be, because a lot of times when you make movies out of TV shows, they, it, the, the beauty of television is that you, it, they're a little bit like a novel. You have more time. Films have to compress all the information so quickly, and I didn't do it quite right. And, and I do want to uh, do a shout-out to my other TV show, if that's all right, yeah. uh, Blunt Talk, yes. which I don't think could be seen in the UK, but starred Patrick Stewart and Adrian Scarborough, who's in the audience somewhere, and uh, Dolly Wells, and was a, a really yeah. lovely show and a, a lovely time, almost like a dream in my life, this odd two-year dream in California that we all had. Yeah, is there any way we can see that in the... Is that just illegally? I, I, I think you have to do it illegally. Yeah. It's so frustrating. Um, Patrick Stewart said, I'm going to get it seen in the UK, and he's not been able to make it happen. Um, Patrick so, Stewart, of course, uh, travelled uh, from Yorkshire to Bristol in a coal cart with Brian Blessed. Uh, so... <laughs> He's come up before. Oh, I, I didn't hear that. What uh, you, you won't know. Do you know who Brian Blessed is? He, he was in uh, Flash Gordon. He said, Gordon's alive! Oh. He's a, a very notable guest of this oh, series. Oh, oh. Uh, I've, I've just been... I just uh, had to do a commentary for that episode, so I've just been re-watching hmm. myself sitting here. Hmm. <laughs> As he spoke. Like, it, it, it was for them, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Uh, and you were in this... You, well, you did a Jonathan... You did the... What's, who's, what's not to love... Pilot, did you with uh, where did, you played? Yeah, I yourself. played myself. That was my first foray into television. And uh, about that experience, I like to say, well, I, 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 I have a better line. I can't come to it. I, at the time, I said it's the role I've been waiting for, <laughs> and uh, and then I didn't prepare enough because it it, it, it didn't go to series. Yeah. Uh, and then I was in bored to death. Yeah. Uh, I played a character named Irwin. My father's name is Irwin, and uh, I did full frontal nudity. Yes. No showrunner had ever done that, and the whole episode <laughs> was about men being insecure about the size of their penises and. So I thought, well, I'm going to get naked. I don't know. It was a very self-destructive choice. <laughs> and um, and I'm, I'm normal, you know, in my resting state, normal to, <laughs> you know, invisible. And... Um, and the director, who I thought was a friend, had the air conditioning way up on set. <laughs> and between the nerves and everything else, I completely retracted, like something out of nature. Uh, it was a, a little... I, I was once drunk on stage at some awards thing, and I said it was like a... It was something like a slot for a coin. That was about all you could see. And, um, you know, like a tumor with a slot. And... Uh, I was, uh, anyway, I did that, uh, and then I thought, you know, I'm never going to act again. <laughs> HBO wasn't very pleased with me. They, anyway, but they, so, uh, yeah, I did that on yeah, stage. Yeah, I've, I've done, the last thing I wrote on TV, 2007, <laughs> was, uh, I, I was one of the characters in, and I was in a bath that I fell out of, and you saw my bum and stuff, I didn't mm. see my cop, but the, one of the, 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 one of the, the PAs, said, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're watching mm. all on a monitor and they said, mm. the, cam the camera that was on the monitor was just the close-up mm. on my genitals. Mm. It's just that filling the screen. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> but she said mm. she found it quite hard to work with me after that. After, yeah. after she just... <laughs> well, this particular scene, which I sort of diagrammed in my mind, I always like circles. Circles in comedy are funny, so it, or at least in my mind they are. It's like the spiral, infinity, life... But anyway, I'm found in bed by Zach Galifianakis, and 
in his girlfriend's bed or ex-girlfriend. She's not there, but I happen to be there. And he chases me around the bed naked. And on the very first take, and he's supposed to fall on the bed, and I go running past. He whipped out, and I think you could, phones were starting to become cameras then. This was like 2010. He took a picture of the first take. Said, oh, sorry. You know, I was like, <laughs> and then it was his idea, because I asked him for permission. I said, Do you, would you mind doing a scene in which I'm naked? He said, only if I can grab your cock. <laughs> and uh, he said, I've never done that on camera before. <laughs> Something like that. So anyway... So we did this scene, it would be shot from behind where like, as he's fallen on the bed, I go racing past, I've grabbed my clothes, and he's just gonna reach out and try to grab hold of this character, Irwin, but grabs my penis for a moment, stops me, we look at each other, he lets go, and then I keep running. And uh, believe it or not, HBO made me cut that moment. <laughs> and, and you weren't going to see the penis, you wouldn't have seen it anyway. I was in the editing room, I couldn't see my own penis. I'm like, where is it? It was so like... HBO, who famously allow anything on More screen. or less, that later. The, that's the very insulting... Yeah, so I, I got these e The email title was cock grab, so there was like at least <laughs> 20 or 30 emails saying, please let me have this moment. And uh, they made us cut it. I think it's on the DVD extras, like a leftover from a circumcision. That is horrible. But... Um, and then another thing with Zach, they made us cut when he, with the actress Olympia Dukakis, she was giving him a bath and uh, may have penetrated him, scrubbing him, and they made me cut that also. <laughs> anyway, but these are, I don't forget these things. I forget everything else, but when it comes to these bad moments I created, I'm like an elephant. According to IMDb, mm -hmm. you appeared in Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Um, I didn't know about that, um, <laughs> but IMDb has gotten a number of things. There's some uh, actor in the late 80s or 90s who was on the number, because I a lot of times I'd be being interviewed by people and they'll be like, you were on Moonlighting. I'm like, and they're so excited to tell me this. I'm like, no, I'm not. It's on IMDb, not everything on the internet. I hate to tell you, it's not true. No, I was hoping it was yeah, true. Sorry. It seemed unlike, you were credited as John Ames, so I kind of think mm. it was probably a different mm. guy. That's what I thought, but... Mm. I don't believe you. I think you're, it was you. <laughs> I hope it was you. Uh, and um, yeah, let's we'll do. We've got, we got a little bit more time. Let's, uh, let's try. And also, I just wanted to remind you, just not to be controlling. Oh yes. I, I do want to make this sound yes, towards the very you, end, or we could. Should we do it again at the end? After. We'll do it. We'll build well, up. Whenever you want. Okay, I'll let you know when it's the end, and you can make your sound. Okay. Jonathan makes a sound. Yeah. <laughs> it's good that now we've seeded that people are very excited. Yeah. This will make the last ten minutes. Uh, okay. Fly, but let's yeah, because I saw you looking at your watch. Yeah, well, and, I'm just and... because it's that's not. It's just so I know what time it is. No, because it's flown by. No, no. But look, you're a professional. You've got to be aware of the clock when you're doing a, an interview like this. So. <laughs> It's been, I, think it's, I think it's gone well. But can you it's, even see the time on that iWatch or whatever it's called? Yeah, Do you have to I'm, shake it? Like, I mean, it's, 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 it's not great, I have to say. Uh, but I expect the new version will be good, so I'll buy that and um, that'll, that'll sort of that. Is that um, what it's called, iWatch? What are they? Uh, Apple Watch. Uh, Apple Watch. I don't know why. It's interesting. I watch Apple Watch. Someone must have got the iWatch thing mm. together. Um, and I'm just, I'm pleased. I know I haven't done, I haven't really been on stage very much for three months, so I'm just glad I've got through this. Yeah. And I didn't sleep last night. Uh, yeah. And 
I, I nearly died last night. You didn't ask me what happened. Uh, oh, so it's... Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> what, what happened? Is it, what, how, did, just, how did you... I work? was just... I got a, I'd had a late meal. And when I say late, at 8.30, but I went to bed at 9.15. Mm. So 45 yeah. minutes. Did you finish <laughs> eating at 8.30? I'd or? say, yeah, I've already finished eating. Okay. And I had two glasses of wine and I haven't drunk for two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and then I just woke up feeling... Do you get that way you... I mean, I think as you get older, and we're sort of a similar-ish age, uh, yeah. it's... Um, you're a bit older than I am. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> I'm 54. <laughs> yeah, I don't know I'm, a, I'm a stripling of 51. I'm just 51, only yeah, just. Oh, God. Uh, Baby. And, <laughs> yeah. And... <laughs> Will my hair go by the time I'm 54? Uh, yeah, you've held on to it this long. It's really good. I lost mine early on. It was so upsetting. No, I just felt, I felt, I woke up and just, and I couldn't sleep. And you know, it, a couple of weeks ago, I happened, had a kind of existential, psychological trauma in the middle of the night where I couldn't sleep. A couple of weeks ago? Yeah, think? a couple of weeks ago. And then last night, it was like a digestive trauma, but not mm-hmm. in a nasty way. Mm-hmm. Just I felt like I couldn't breathe properly and mm-hmm. my guts were feeling yeah. weird. Uh-huh. And I thought, you know, this could be it. Oh. And I went down to sleep on the sofa just because I was out of the way of everyone. And then I thought, if I die, you know, if I die now, they'll just come down in the morning and find me dead on my, my little daughter will run down. Daddy, daddy, why are you pretending to be asleep? Uh, um, wait, wait, was this? And, you know, it gave me some satisfaction. Yeah, the, no, you. you... She doesn't like me. So Every it's... now and then it is fun to wallow in self-pity <laughs> or sort of like... But you know, when you wake up, I just hate it. You know, I know you know, I've been through it so many times where there's that three-hour period and you go, I know I'm not going to go to sleep for three hours. I'm going to feel really weird. And mm. I sort of worry that that's the actual reality, that that kind of confusion you feel at two o'clock in the morning when you've just woken up yeah, is might. reality and everything else you manage to kid yourself that the world isn't that empty and hollow. Mm. Uh, I didn't entirely follow that. Okay. But, um, but I, I, I don't, thought you'd get it because you're a novelist. I definitely came closer to death with that motorcycle. But I, 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 am, I am sorry that you were upset like that, though. Yeah, thanks. So, yeah. <laughs> um, that's what, the question I've got here is weirdly, what is your. Uh, what? what Stupid question. What has what has been your least enjoyable experience of food poisoning? <laughs> I no, mean, what's no, been your most enjoyable experience of food poisoning? No, but this is amazing that you yeah. should ask that because when you were talking about this middle of the night existential trauma, yeah. almost thought you had died or something. I did flash to a story in my own mind, which didn't didn't seem appropriate to answer. But that question, <laughs> I can answer. Okay. Uh, so this was a few years ago. It was actually during Blunt Talk. And I went to some uh, cocktail thing uh, for, at Sony to try to, it was actually trying to sell the TV show internationally. Maybe this is why it didn't sell. And sometimes <laughs> at these group, large, fancy professional things, that's when I do drink too much. It was an open bar. I went berserk. I, I, I kept drinking vodka club sodas. I met Wesley Snipes. I, I, <laughs> I, and I love his movies, and I've watched Blade a hundred times or something, and I got my picture taken with him, and he was so cool. He was like a, a beam of quiet light. It was really interesting. Anyway, uh, but I must have had like 10 vodka club sodas, and I even said to the bartender, these are kind of weak. Could you make mine stronger every time I come up? And he must have put it in triple. I didn't notice. And then there was a, a, some kind of mad paella that you could eat. So I ate, I ate all this paella with lots of different creatures from the sea in it, and uh, got w- wildly intoxicated, 
was driven home, one of those rides where you're going, oh God, you know, where you wanna die, you don't think you're going to die. And, uh, you know, make it home, called the young lady I was seeing at the time, I said, could you come to my house? I, th I don't know, I was having an existence. She came, and, uh, and then I, I, we lay down, I, thought, I hate to vomit more than anything, and I thought, oh my God, oh my God, I'm gonna vomit. And, and I got out of the bed to start running to the bathroom, and I think Adrian knows this story, and I start running, and then the paella comes out of me, like, and yet I'm still running, and I don't know the physics of it, but the paella was here, I'm running. I then hit the paella, and I slip. And, and I must have slid, because I am now I'm lying in like shrimp, Paella, vodka, soup, all over my back, ah, you know. And, and it, but it was so funny, I almost laughed. And, um, and then made it to the bathroom, vomited more, passed out on the toilet floor, my body blocking the door. The poor young lady said she was going on the internet. How do you help someone who's dying of alcohol poisoning? She couldn't open the door. And then, like, then I vomited again, and I was like a Roman. I, I suddenly felt better. And, and she was in bed, she cleaned up everything. I said, you know, I feel a lot better. I think, I think I'm gonna take a hit of pot. And so she was just like... Anyway, but that, that was uh, food poisoning, yeah. alcohol poisoning. But that thing of slipping in the paella was good. so disgusting. <laughs> So anyway, I had a good question answer. or answer ready for that question. Yeah, that's good. Well, they, you know, we're on the, we're very... And I thought of your middle of the night crisis, yeah. and I thought of my middle of the night crisis. So mine was when I was I was uh, I got food poisoning from something when I was I was on my birthday, and uh, I had diarrhea, and then I realised I had to be sick, and then there was no time, so I had to be sick on my own diarrhea. Wait, wait a second. What? Well, I had diarrhea on the toilet, and yeah. so then, but then I was going to be sick straight away, so I had to then. Be, I didn't have, even have time to flush. Oh, oh so you vomited into your diarrhea. I vomited onto diarrhea. my diarrhea. Oh God. Uh. And then it happened. And I I felt, then I felt great, and then every hour on the hour, it was literally on the hour, the same thing would happen. I was ready for the diarrhea the second time. Uh, so and then flush. I was just throwing up, like by, by the I just kept on throwing up for like a whole day until the, when there's nothing, just weird stuff coming up. Well, you the, know, the, 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 your soul starts coming up. With the, oh, the yeah. that, that is, I will think about that around two o'clock in the morning and I will bolt out of bed. <laughs> you bomb. But you know, that is almost a, like a moment in classic literature in uh, Don Quixote. <laughs> Uh, Sancho it did Panza. strike me at the time. Uh, yeah, but you can feel like you're part of a long, you know, something that's happened yeah. for hundreds of years. Yeah. But uh, Sancho Panza drinks some sort of potion that Don Quixote tells him will heal him of all pain. Don Quixote took it, went into a coma, but Sancho drinks it and had uh, simultaneous diarrhea and vomiting right. for like two weeks out of both ends at the same time, yeah. like something out of science fiction. And uh, barely survived those two weeks. Don Quixote comes out of the two weeks and thinking, oh, it worked perfectly. Didn't realize he'd been asleep for two weeks. <laughs> right. So a week later, Don Quixote has a terrible injury. Uh, he has a bunch of teeth broken. He attacked these goat herds or something. And Sancho, for once, thought, I'm going to stay out of the fray and watch 
Don Quixote take a beating from a distance. Normally Sancho would get in the middle and get it worse. This time he watched, thought, okay, I've learned something. So he goes to tend to Don Quixote, comes down the hill. Don Quixote's had these molars broken. Don Quixote remembered, ah, my potion. So he (laughs) drinks the potion as uh, Sancho comes down the hill. And then Sancho is like, are you all right, master? And Don Quixote goes, I think I've lost some grinders. Can you take a look? And so so he opens up his mouth. Sancho looks in. And right at that moment, the potion hit Don Quixote differently this time, not a coma, and he vomits right into Sancho's open mouth, his own vomit, which smelled of that potion, which uh, Sancho had remembered to cause diarrhea and vomiting, and so he vomited right into Sancho's mouth, and Sancho then vomited right back into Don Quixote's mouth. So this is great literature. Why does everyone go on about the fucking windmills in that book? That is the best, that's the best bit. I, this, this vomiting diarrhea section is, you know, up there with the opening of, you know, Anna Karenina or something. Well, that is uh, fantastic. We're going to have to end. We're not going to end without, first of all, say, go and buy The Extra Man and, every, and check out everything else uh, Jonathan's written because it's, uh, well, all apart from the, the thriller, they're, they're all extremely funny uh, and revealing. Do you, regret, do you regret writing any of those things in hindsight like the world's changed so much you kind of wished you hadn't written some of it down well I was looking through my old essay collections thinking maybe I'd put together a best of and I thought oh god why did I write that so I'm not, <laughs> I won't include that in the best of and I've forgotten most of everything I've written yeah. like I don't know if you're that way but it's I think we all change so much you know so it's not the person who wrote the extra man he is not really around anymore I mean sort of in this form anyway i won't get into that we're almost done (laughs) uh, i quite like going let's go quite deep with this and then you can do your sound (laughs) yeah um we we all have regrets and we all change i actually like go deep how do we change but we hopefully we change for the better we always try to learn (laughs) we try to become more loving more compassionate i try to feel empathy and retrospect for your brief crisis last night now. It was, uh, no it seems very real you were upset about something you might I think you were probably anxious about performing again I after think three I probably months. was yeah yeah, yeah. So it's that worked out okay isn't it we're still but, no you've I'm, done I'm, very well I've done thank you I've done, yeah, yeah. done alright yeah. <laughs> I got a speak in this one it's been alright yeah. <laughs> Shall so, I do uh, the sound? So I don't what about want that to... sound. Okay. What about the sound? You um, well, let me just take a sip of water. If yeah. you could fill the air for a moment. I can. So, uh, by the extra man, yeah. Pushkin okay. Press. Okay. So, emergency questions. Sphere, sphere, publishing. Eat herring. It's good for you, but you can't change the flavor, even if you're a god. <laughs> All right. So this is a sound that my friends and I would make on the playground when being attacked by more normal children. And uh, it's known as the Harry Call because it was all about going Harry. And the original sound was made by this friend of mine, the child of a chiropractor. And we were learning how to read. He was very chubby and he was a piano prodigy. And for some reason, out of the blue, we were learning how to read through headphones. He took the headphones off and he went, like that. This little purr came out of him, struck me in the third eye. Anyway, <laughs> the sound got louder and louder. We would communicate with that sound as a basis, like emotions, like like that is how we would talk. And 
We called this going hairy, and we were hairy-aters. And the very loud sound, the clarion call of when we were being attacked by more normal children was known as the hairy call. So I'll do a hairy call now. I'll do three of them to send everyone off into the night or into the second well, half the of the show. Yeah. The second half of the show. So here are three hairy calls. I'll do the best I can. Their podcast with me, Rich Chang, and my guest Jonathan Ames. The music, as ever, is by the popular beat combo Pest. Thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre, everyone at Go Faster Strike, uh, everyone at the British Comedy Guide. Thanks for all your assistance. I'm indebted to my producer, Ben Walker. This week's executive producer, who is much more important than Ben Walker and does a lot more than Ben Walker, of just paying money on the Kickstarter, is Andy Sandal. Andy Sandal, that's nice, isn't it? That's all right, Andy Sandal. This is a Go Faster Stripe Fuzz and <laughs> Sky Potato Production. Thank you very much for watching slash and or slash listening to Rich Hang's Leicester Square Theatre Podcast. Remember, please go out and buy the emergency questions, 1,001 questions. It's a perfect Christmas gift, even for someone who doesn't know anything about this podcast. It's still good fun. It'll get your conversations going. And please support our sponsors, Beer52, by going to beer52.com slash RHLSTP, and you can get eight craft beers for just £2.95 package and posting. It's great, my friends. It's delicious. It gets you drunk and it tastes nice. What's better than that? Mm, I'm just imagining it. <laughs> Thanks for watching, slash listening, slash watching and listening. If you just watched, you're weird. I hope you listened as well. Bye.